Okay, welcome. So this is class, it's really class five. It's class, sorry, class six, although we did a review from last week. So that was class, uh, that was class six. So this is the beginning of the new, the next, the second part of this series. So we've got, we've basically learned about being human in a sense um now this next the next five classes are about being jewish so we we're going to change tracks a little bit but we've learned about the natural world now we're going to be learning about what it means to be jewish so the class is entitled the jewish being and being jewish so definition of a jew anybody has a definition of a jew We would think we should have one, but most people probably wouldn't be able to say it. Definition of a Jew? Mrs. Silk, we, you, have a, you have a definition of a Jew? Didn't we say that um, a Jew is a human with an ashama? That's it. Perfect. That's exactly what a Jew is. Well done. A Jew is a human being with an ashama. That's it. So what's a non-Jew? A human being. It couldn't be more simple. I mean, now we have to define what it means a human being or what it means in a shama, but at least we know, at least we've got the pieces in, in place now. So a Jew is a human being within a shama, which means you have a responsibility as a human being, and then you have a responsibility as a Jew. A non-Jew has a responsibility as a human being. So we need to define what's a human being. So we live in 2023. So I asked the chatbot before I asked Wikipedia, but I got both answers for us, okay? So the chatbot says like this, I asked, what's the definition of a human being? And he said to me like this, the chatbot's one of my best friends, by the way, I speak to him all the time. So uh, he says like this, a member of the species Homo sapiens, characterized by the ability to walk upright, use complex tools, communicate through language, and engage in abstract and engage in abstract reasoning. Humans are social beings with a, de a, de a developed capacity for self-awareness and consciousness. They possess a wide range of cognitive abilities, including the capacity for learning, problem solving, creativity, and emotional expression. Additionally, humans have a complex cultural and societal structure, creating diverse forms of organized communities, belief systems, and behaviors, okay? That's what the chatbot says is a human being. So the most important bits that I bolded was we walk upright, okay? We have language, we can use tools, uh, we can reason abstractly, we can have, we have abstract reasoning. Um, Self-awareness, the capacity for learning, problem solving, creativity, emotional expression. Wikipedia said, and I, I mean, it was one of the, it's a huge page, so I just took the very few first lines. It says humans or modern humans, Homo sapiens, are the most common and widespread species of primate. A great ape characterized by their hairlessness, bipedalism, which means walks on two feet, and high intelligence. Not as nice as the chatbots, exactly. Not, not as nice, but we're, according to Wikipedia, we are a great ape. We are a widespread species of primate. We are a, a bald great ape. A hairless great ape. We're not hairy, but we're a great ape. And uh, we walk on two feet and we're highly intelligent. Okay. That's, uh, that is a human being. 
that, that that's a good that that they did well. They did they that that's what that's how I understand it from Tanya and the from the from the Toyo text that I've learned. That's basically how we define a human being. So we have four kingdoms. Yeah, we have the inanimate, we have the vegetable, we have the animal, and then we have the human. Okay. So you can you can understand like this very it breaks down very simply, very easily. So the inanimate just is a rock, just is, it just exists, doesn't do anything. The vegetable, yeah, trees, etc., grows. And not that growing also means that it reproduces, same thing. Okay. So the difference in a rock and a tree is growth. The difference between the tree and an animal is movement, which also includes behavior. That's the same thing. What's the difference in an animal and a human then? Thinks. Intellect, intelligence. Yeah. So that's really what a human being is. A human being is a intelligent ape. It's not very nice to say like that, but but that's that for all intents and purposes. That's true. But don't forget that having intelligence makes a very big difference. And think about it this way: if there weren't any humans and it just went up to like you know orangutans and like clever monkeys, yeah, how different would this world look than when it was created? Zero. It'd look exactly the same. Monkeys still live in trees and, you know, live in the jungle. They haven't built cities. So it's a, it makes a very, very big difference. So that intelligence thing, it also means that we're like physically, you know, there are few, there aren't that many animals that couldn't like, you know, kill us. I mean, probably, I mean there are a lot because there's lots of small ones, but there's a lot of animals that could completely dominate us. And in fact, we dominate all animals exclusively because of our intelligence so that's a big thing it's not a small thing at all okay um so what really then makes the difference between a human being and a monkey being intelligence that's not a physical thing because like wikipedia says we're just like a hairy a hairless monkey so so what's the difference where does it come in it's not a physical difference so there's a difference in soul we have a, a human being has a soul. You could, they call it a lot of the times they call it a nefesh of Bahamas, an animal soul. But more more often than not, they call it a nefesh of chiyunis, which means a a, a life giving soul. Or a, also, it could be sometimes called the nefesh amaskelis, which is maybe something slightly different. But we could, for our intents and purposes, we could call it that as well. The intelligent soul. Okay, so, so you're, you're talking now about the human, not about the not about a Jew. We've said nothing about Judaism right now. <clears throat> we've said nothing about Israel. We're just talking about human beings. Okay, so okay. there's a special human soul that a human being has that makes him different to an ape. Because LP physicality, you're not that much different to an ape. Yeah, not not really, not that much difference at all. Like a couple of chromosomes or something i don't know but, but very very similar so the difference really is on a soul level not we're not going to call it a neshama we'll call it a nefesh okay a nefesh it's a 
It's called the Nefesh HaBahamis, the Nefesh HaChiyunis, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Now, it's important to remember that as a human being, as a Jew, who is primarily a human and then has this extra soul, yeah, our default perspective is through the eyes of this soul. The way we experience the world, unless we are a tzaddik, which we aren't, I don't know about you guys, but I know most of us aren't tzaddikim, yeah? So unless you are a tzaddik, um, you are experiencing the world primarily through the eyes of this of this being, if you want to call it that. <clears throat> and it's an important thing because remember we learned, was it last in class five, the breakdown of the soul? We said there's pleasure, which expresses itself as rutson, which becomes enclosed in, which, which powers the seichel, that gives birth to the emotions, that express themselves in behavior. Yeah. So there's actually a higher point that we didn't mention, the highest point of the soul, which is what drives the pleasure. And this is really a very, very deep point, and it's quite amazing. That's the highest part of the soul, Yechida? So we're talking about the good, well, the Yechida breaks down into parts anyway, in a sense, but we're not, we're, we're talking about the, we wouldn't call it that, because we're talking about the human soul. We wouldn't, we wouldn't call it that, but maybe you could call it that. The, the very essence of the human soul is an empty space. And that is um, motivating all of your humanness, the need to fill that empty space that accounts for all of your human behavior. That's it's really a, a very big trip when you think about this deeply. The very, the very root of your humanity is an empty space. And it's the awareness of that empty space that is causing us to, to seek pleasure, to seek to live, which is all pleasure, etc., for validation, to make our mark on the world, to uh to for meaning, for all, all the all the things that we're looking for are aimed at trying to fill this unfillable empty space. That's why when, you know, when you launch your YouTube channel and you're getting, you know, 10 hits, you want more. But when you've, when you've built your YouTube channel for 20 years and you're getting 10 million hits or 100 million hits, you still want more. Nothing changed. The guy who's got 10 hits would kill for a million hits. But the guy who's got, who's got a million hits, he wants 2 million hits. That's how the world, that's how it works. The guy with a lot of money generally wants more money. It's not like you feel like you've got enough money. It's not like you feel you ever have enough. You know, you want your house to be more beautiful or you want your car to be bigger and more pretty or you want to have more sophisticated children or whatever, wherever you're holding. It's all about more, more, more. Yeah, that's trying to fill this empty space. And it's really, it's really a a um it's an awareness of the of of the mortality 
This, this soul is painfully aware of the fact that one day it's not going to be. That's the same thing as an empty space. It's constantly trying to be. It wants to be more. It wants to be bigger. It wants to be better. It wants it. It wants more. It wants to slid because it knows that it's going to be gone at some point. It's constantly trying to hold on. Are you with me? Is that making sense a little bit? So. That's basically the, the human soul. Um, and it's we're told that it's made of four elements, which is fire, water, earth, and air. Okay? Now, that sounds quite kind of babyish to think like that, because we know it's not really made of fire, water, earth, and air. So I'm sorry, the empty space is made of these four or the soul? The empty space is empty. You know, that, that's, we're talking about the very, 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 the very, the very showish of the, of the soul. But that's immediately it becomes enclosed in pleasure, in will, in intelligence, in emotions and in behavior. So it's, that's just the very, very core of it. But the, um, the actual body of the soul, so to speak, is made of fire, water, earth and air. Now it's important to know that it's not. It doesn't really mean that. It's, there's a few different things that it's in, it's it's kind of hinting to. But one of the main things it's hinting to is these are directions. Fire goes up. Water goes down. Air is opinionless. It moves in any direction, and earth resists movement. And that's very much in line with 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 a lot of what the most modern science says that really reality is just made out of movement or particles. I'm sorry, what was Earth? Earth is resistance to movement? Yeah, exactly. Why? I would say Earth, yeah, because it's stable. It just doesn't move unless you do something to it. It doesn't move. Water pulls down, falls down. Water moves. Water flows. Water flows, but it flows down specifically. Fire goes up. Air goes in any direction and earth resists movement. Now it comes out that all the bad, all the bad character traits come from these four elements in this soul. Okay. This soul's not a particularly good guy. He's not a bad guy. He might become a bad guy, but he's not particularly a bad guy. He's just about himself. He's not like out to hurt you. He's just about, it's about me, you know. Maybe I might also like to help you if I want, if I would, if I feel nice by helping you, then I'll help you as well. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy, but he's all about himself. That's that's your human part. But we're going to see in a minute, it's a little bit different but by, by, by Jew, but that's basically it. He's very self-involved. It's all about me. Okay. Now the four, those four elements that we said give rise to the four bad like four categories of bad meters so from fire comes arrogance and anger they're linked with each other very much okay i'm not we could talk about all of this stuff for hours i'm just going to give you the basic idea okay so from fire comes anger and arrogance from water comes the pleasures of the world the, the desire for the pleasures of the world 
like food and other 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 earthly pleasures okay from air comes the pleasure of nothingness of just having a meaningless conversation of 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 uh, of of scoffing of of boasting of just of just empty things emptiness nothingness and this is very interesting is earth there are two two bad traits associated with earth one is depression and one is laziness i know this is this is like a side point but it's such an important point what's the opposite of depression the opposite of atzvus simcha simcha but then, so you would say the opposite of simcha is atzvus. But what about avelus? Lower lane. Now we know that's that... Mourning, a, that's grieving. Grieving. Mourning. Yeah. Avelus. It's definitely not depression. No, it's actually being in touch with what you're feeling. So what's the opposite of simcha? Depression or mourning? Interesting question, yeah? Maybe I'll try and... Maybe I'll just do... A... Well, you can't be besimcha when you're a novel. You're, you're right. You can't, you're not allowed to be besimcha. You can't be besimcha. We can look at it like this, okay? Please excuse my drawing. Can you see what I'm doing, yeah? Okay, we're going to call this. I'll do this with my mouse, excuse me. See, well, it doesn't have a yid there. Pesichas, Alive, and this is Tim. Tim, excuse me, please. Tim Tim Alive. Okay. This is oh. this, yeah. Here, wait, the right side. Sorry, here is Simcha, and here is wait a minute. Oh, I think we'll do that. And here is Avelus. Okay? Everyone sees this? Please excuse the bad drawing. Okay. Um, so, Atzvus is the opposite of Simcha. Like you said, Mrs. Blumenberg, yeah? Atzvus is the opposite of Simcha. But Atzvus is also the opposite of Avelus. And Avelis is the opposite of Simcha. And Avelis is the opposite of Atzvus. So they're both, both of these phenomena are the opposite of Atzvus. But they're both, like you just said, they both, the heart is alive. This is called Psichas Alev. Now, Psichas Alev, so if a person is in a very healthy emotional state, they will experience great joy. 
but they will also experience great, great mourning as well. If a person is in a state of timtumalay, where the where the heart is closed up and they don't have free flowing emotion, they won't experience simcha, and they also won't be able to experience um, avelus. They won't be able to mourn. This is really the, to, to memorize this little thing we've drawn here is a very important thing because this is really. Oh, you're saying someone that can experience joy can experience pain. Uh, let's let, say pain. Let's say let's say um, mourning. Like pain means, like pain, I mean, everyone can experience pain if you stub your toe, you know, but um, it means the actual, actual, but it, see, see, Atzvus is actually, the way that I've understood it, is actually, I learned from my Rebbe, is actually, the reason why it's grouped with laziness is, it's not fair to call it laziness, but it's actually a kind of like laziness to experience emotion. That's why depression and laziness are linked with each other and when you're with somebody who's depressed you feel all your life force gets drawn out of you it has a heaviness and it's it's actually so so depression is actually not an emotion it's a lack of emotion an inability to experience emotion that's what we understand arts for says and if you're talking about clinical depression with chemicals and stuff it's really all the same thing because Really, because all you all emotions are is just chemicals in the body anyway. That's what actually emotions are. So chemical, I mean, a person could be a person, see, the brain creates chemicals. So if a person gets into a kind of funk in their mind, they'll create the chemicals that basically shut down the heart. So it is a chemical thing anyway. But there are other people who they're just their brains create these chemicals for no reason and they can get they can get um what's the word? They can get um balanced out with actual taking external chemicals whatever that's a side point that, that was all the side point it's just I, I find that fascinating i thought it was worth mentioning okay so that's the human soul yeah it's mortal um it's looking for pleasure and to survive it's being driven by this basically this fear of death this fear of non-existence and it's self-centered that's the human part of who you are okay so now what's the jewish part the neshama so the definition of neshama is a piece of god from above piece of god okay we'll explain a little bit what that means so it's analogized to two things the breath of god and the thought of god hashem's breath and hashem's thought which is great because there's an analogy in the Zohar Kodesh of the of the glass blower, and this gives you the this gives you a really deep understanding of what the neshama is. Originally, there's a glass blower. You know, you know, you, people blow glass like they have a tube, and then like the you know like the looks like a balloon. So the first part is the guy, the glass blower, has a thought that he's going to blow a glass. He's going to blow the glass. Now, the next stage is he develops the air in his lungs. The air ends up in his lungs. Yeah. Then he blows, starts to blow the air through the tube. And the air ends up in the in the 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 clay, the the, um, the vessel at the bottom, yeah, the glass, the glass vessel at the bottom. Okay, that's the the say there. 
So that actually links to the different levels of the Jewish soul. So the highest level, which we call Yechida, is like a thought in his mind. You can't point to a thought in his mind. You can't point to a thought. You can't point to a thought in anyone's mind. It's completely echad yachid and yuchad bound up with the mind. They're not separate in any way. That's the highest level of of, of your neshama, which is mamash one with Hashem. It, it and Hashem are completely one. Then you have the next level, which is the air that's materialized in his lungs. Now it's still inside him completely. But this time you could kind of point to it in a sense. It's in him, but it's separate in him. That's, by the way, this what we learned about Oineg, Ratzon, Seichel, Midas and, and uh, behavior, Levushem. So the first level is Oineg. Then the second level, when the air is in his lungs, that's called Ratzon. Now then, when he's blowing the air out of his, out of his mouth, the air that's on his lips, which is really between, it's 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 kind of leaving him and going into the vessel. It's the it, yeah, that's called the neshama. Again, we're calling the whole thing as one the neshama, but the technical the technical words that part's called the neshama. Then you've what's called what's called the ruach, which is the air going down the tube, and then the nefesh is the actual part of the soul that ends up in the goof, in the body. Okay? We have this beautiful, very helpful analogy of how intimately bound up with Hashem your neshama actually is. And we don't see most of the time, nearly all the time, again, unless we're a tzaddik, we're not experiencing the world through the eyes of this creature. Let's call it a creature's a bit not right. Through the eyes of this being. To experience the world through the eyes of this being is called, that's called being godly. You would be repulsed by any selfishness whatsoever. That would repulse you. And you would be, I mean, imagine, think of something that you do for its own sake that you love doing. Like, there's, you know, a certain shop you like to go to or something, or a holiday you like to go on, which just your whole you're, you're thinking about it, you know, and for, for weeks, months, and, you, and you, you know, it finally comes, you just can't, you know, you're so excited. Yeah, that's how the Neshama feels about mitzvahs. It takes mitzvahs personally. It's not something it has to do. It's like, that's my thing. That's my thing. So when we sink in with the Neshama, mitzvahs turn from being something that I'm commanded to doing to being my own personal desire. Okay, so we've got a beautiful, everyone's heard the word Shekhinah, yeah? Everyone's heard the word Shekhinah? Anyone has a clue what it is? Most people don't. It's officially the female energy of Hashem or something like that. Yeah, that's true. Um, Feminine, I mean. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what does that really mean? I mean, it, it's true, but it doesn't. It's not so helpful as in like, what's its connection to our soul? So the Jewish souls, all the Jewish souls together, 
or really better to say the root of all Jewish souls is called the Shekhinah. I'll give you two mashalim that will help very much, two analogies. The two analogies are of a field of apples and of the ocean. The individual souls, a field of apples, yeah? The Shekhinah is called a field of apples. How many apples can a field of apples put out? Endless apples, yeah? Each apple is a, is a Jewish soul. The field of apples is called the Shekhinah. Okay, another really nice analogy is you, you, you're in LA, yeah? So you look out over the ocean on a very sunny day and you end up seeing endless millions and millions of little glints of light. You know what I'm talking about? Sparkling, just endless little sparkles, yeah? What are they? They're really all the reflection of the sun. There's not like millions of sparkles. I mean, there are, but they're really just the reflection of the sun. That's another good analogy for the for the Shekhinah and the individual Jewish souls. So when we say that, I mean, like Klal Yisrael is the Shekhinah, it's true, but it, you are not the Shekhinah. You are an expression of the Shekhinah. All of the Jewish souls together... Yeah, the source of all the Jewish souls is called the Shekhinah Kedosh. Um, so what does it mean, Imayinachim Litzara? What does that mean? What, if I'm with you in Tzara? So you... which part of Hashem is with us? That, what does that mean? Oh. That's, that's, that's the Shekhinah? Or... That's my question. I'll tell you, when we start talking about parts of Hashem, even though he's Echad. No, Hashem is one. Hashem is not part. No, no, I'm saying, but when we start, no, but we do talk about Hashem on levels. You can't imagine how many levels there are. Like, the more details you get, the more it breaks down into endless, endless gradations with endless gradations within the gradations and so to ask, like, what part of... I, know, I understand what you mean, yeah? But I don't really know what that means. The best the best thing I could probably say is just to say his, his self. Who he really is. No parts of... No, no external element. Him, himself. That's the best thing to think about. But anyway, um, this soul is eternal. And death is not relevant to it. So it's not being driven by this need to fill this empty hole. If we understand that the very, very root of the, of the human soul is an empty hole, is like an empty space, then what's the very, very root of the Jewish soul? Maybe more of like an empty space, but like to connect with Hashem. Take away the first few words. Just Hashem. <laughs> and you know what that's called? That's called Emunah. Emunah isn't a trait that you... Uh, what's the word for a trait? Not inherit, but you, um, that you develop. Emunah is the name for the very essence of who you are. So Amunu isn't something that you that you that you develop in a sense. Bitachon maybe would be more something that you develop. But Amunu is the root of who you are. That 
means that the essence of who you are is godly. That's called a muna. So a muna is more like accessing your essence as opposed to being a munastic. You know, you with me? Means that a muna isn't far from you at all. In fact, the problem is that we're far from our muna. That's who we are. That's what a Jew is. Just like the very essence of the Nefesh of Bahamas is an empty space, the very essence of the Nefesh Elokis, the godly soul, is the Rabboina Shloylem himself, Mamash. That's called a Muna. So getting... So, hmm? so of course, we're by default connected. More, we're by default dragged down with our Nefesh of Bahamas. It's harder to access our Muna. Well, you're the more the more you see reality through the eyes of the Nefesh of Bahamas, the less you see reality through the eyes of the of the Nefesh of Akis, of the godly soul. And that means that, that the godly soul, so to speak, goes into uh goes into a dungeon, is the is the analogy that they speak uh, speak of. That when we're living as a human, it doesn't mean as an animal, when we're living as a human being not as a Jew, our neshama is not happy at all. She's not being able to express herself. Jews need to be doing mitzvahs. Everything needs to be turned mitzvahs. That's what Jews do. Human beings can be very good guys. They can be lovely. They can be very considerate as well. They can be working on their midas and doing all kinds of lovely things. But that isn't what but that's not what the Jewish part of you needs to be doing. The human part of you does need to be doing that. So we're, we're, let's keep going. So now, the it's interesting because the the human soul is kind of analogous to anything in this world which is which is um, affected by gravity, like a pen. Like I drop it, it falls down. Yeah, everything goes back down to where it came from, so to speak. Yeah, goes back down to Mother Earth. It's called gravity. So that the human soul could be compared to like a stone in that sense. It falls down and it becomes more solid and more comfortable on earth. Whereas the net, the neshama, yeah, the nefesh of the keys, what you want to call it, that is comparable to a candle that's trying to kind of move up and pull itself away from the, actually the way they talk about it is it trying to pull itself away from the wick and to go up to the place where fire comes from, which is this place above us, somewhere in the heavens, whatever that means. What happens when a flame, what happens when a flame goes into, a small flame goes into a big fire? It gets included in the rest of the fire. It gets incorporated. It, it just kind of disappears. It, lose all sen it loses all sense of self. You can't point to it. like You can't say, oh, there it is. It's not like a stone. When a stone falls to a beach... You, I mean, you might not know it yourself, but you could point to that stone and say, look, there's the stone. Whereas when the fire gets merged into the big fire, it loses all sense of self. So you can say that the stone is actually, as it's falling through the air, it's looking forward to getting more comfortable, more solidified, you know, having a nicer place and, you know, being more stable and solid. That's the desire of your human side. Whereas the desire of the godly soul is to just, become nullified into its source to go back into god and to just not be nefesh that your, your jewish soul just doesn't doesn't want to be away from god it wants to be merged with god 
without any sense of self whatsoever. The fact that it's in a body is very uncomfortable for the Jewish soul, very uncomfortable. Not even not even as a Jewish as, as a body, just the fact that it's something separate from God, it's an ashama, is quite distressing for the soul. The soul just wants to become merged back with God. That's what it wants. So that really creates the dichotomy of the of the Jewish experience. You've got this one part of you that's human that wants to be more. And then you've got this other part of you that's Jewish that just doesn't want to be. <laughs> Not in like some kind of like, you know, unhealthy way, but in the ultimate healthy way. It just, it just wants to go back to God. It just can't be bothered with anything else. Like, what's the point? That's real. All of this is just like fairy tale stuff. That's the, that's the fight within the Jew. Which one are you going to be connected to? So now, this is very important. So we're going back now to the human soul. There's two kinds of human souls, okay? There is, do you remember we mentioned a couple of classes ago about the idea of opaque and translucent when it comes to the clipper? There's two levels. Clipper covers over. Remember, it's a means to an end, and as such, it covers over, and it kind of conceals the godliness within, yeah? So there's two levels. We said there's the complete opaque cover. That's like a brick wall, like the peel of an orange. And then we've got the translucent cover, which is like, you know, milky glass, frosted glass, or like the, the peel of a, of a grape, which allows light to go through. Those are the two styles of human soul. The human soul comes in two varieties. It comes as the one that's completely opaque and the one that's semi-translucent. You with me? What's the difference? The difference is that the completely opaque human soul cannot, it has no natural ability to recognize the reality of another. It's utterly selfish. Now, remember, utterly selfish doesn't mean that it's going around murdering and raping. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that it's completely bound up in itself and everything it's doing is for its own selfish purposes, which could mean building hospitals and, you know, saving the lives of millions of people in Africa. But it's doing it for itself. That's what does it for it. It doesn't mean that it's doing bad stuff, like horrible, painful things. It could also do that as well, but it doesn't mean that. You with me? It just means that it's about itself. So that's the lower level soul. And it doesn't have any natural ability to appreciate another human being. It's completely self-absorbed. Okay? Then we've got the other style, which is translucent. And the way the Rebbe and the Tanya explains, he says, it means it's got a couple of traits. So let, let's say the, the traits innate to the Jew in his human soul. See, the human soul, we said, has got all these bad traits. I like remember we said anger and arrogance and wanting pleasure for its own sake and then nothingness and then depression and, and laziness, all those things, yeah? Those are innate to the, to the human soul. But in the translucent human soul, it also has 
some positive traits. Anyone remembers the Mishnah? It's actually, I think it's a good one. Says about the uh, J- Jews are Rachmanim, Gomle Chasadim, Ubaishadim. Yeah? We are merciful, kind, and by shunning, not embarrassed, that's not the right word. What's the right word? Self-conscious. Hmm? You're on uh, you're new. Shy. Shy? Not seeking yeah, publicity. Shy. What? Not seeking publicity. Yeah, by sh- we know what by shunning means. Shy is a good word. Shy is a good word. So by shunning, yeah? What what what's the Sada Shava? What's the common denominator of those three? Of those three qualities, merciful, kind, and shy or um, embarrassed, easily embarrassed, whatever. Thinking of taking yourself out of it, out of the equation. Meaning, go selfless. 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 Yeah, meaning that you're aware of the other person. Merciful means I appreciate. I appreciate you. I'll have mercy on you. It's not about me. It's about you. I'm kind. Again, it's you. You're a Matthias. You exist. I, and and, and Baishana means I appreciate that you're a person in front of me. I'm not others. I'm not like, you know, who I don't care who, who who's he. He doesn't even exist in my mind. Yeah. So that's the Jewish human soul. The Jewish human soul is translucent, which means it has some innate good, which means it can naturally appreciate another human being. And that's why if you do, if you look at the kind of tzedakah that even secular yidden give and the kind of projects that secular yidden are involved in, you'll see that it's completely out of proportion to the, uh, to, to the regular human interaction on those kinds of mitzvahs. Jews are just more involved in other people by shita, just by nature, not not because they've worked on themselves, not because they've you know they're elevated. That's just too, that's just who they are. You could blame it on the society. You could blame it on a bunch of things. But the Rebbe is saying it's a soul thing. It's a soul thing that the human element of the Jew appreciates another human being, whereas a default human being is unable but wait before you start screaming racism a, a, a norm a regular human being is unable to appreciate the reality of another which is basically what what modern psychology says anyway so now it comes out like this we'll finish it but this is really let's take a few minutes to explain but this now gives us what is the role of a human in this world? What is a human trying to do with his life or her life in this world? And what is a Jew trying to do with his or her life in this world? What's the difference in our avoiders? What is the non-Jew about? What is the Jew about? And we hinted to it in what we just said before. In the human being, in the human the human condition, that 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 per, that being is unable to naturally appreciate that another person exists, that anything else exists. 
That's just their natural default state. The Jewish human soul is able to appreciate that. So the purpose of the human being in this world is to use their intelligence to come to the recognition that other people are real and then to act accordingly. That sounds funny, but that is an in, that's that's not a simple thing. To actually get to the level where you believe that other human beings genuinely exist, and even you could go further and start appreciating other people's existence more than your own. That's that's the highest level of a human being. The highest level a human being can achieve is that he can he or she can appreciate the reality of another human being more than their own reality. And they can do that by way of their intellect. And that's why Hillel said, you remember when the, uh, um, when the Goy came to Hillel and asked him to tell him the whole toy was standing on one leg? Remember what he said? What did he say? I knew I'd say that. And it's not that, though, right? I didn't say that. No, not at all. Yeah, it's something like that, though. Something like that, absolutely. But it's actually nothing like that. But it's something like that. But it's really nothing like that. What is Which it? Which one? That one? It says, The Alayich Sani, what is it? The Alayich Sani, The Alayich Sani, I'm going to translate it really word for word, yeah? The Alayich Sani, on you, what is hateful to your friend, don't do. Amazing. Not for your Haftarech HaKamoicha. Bichlal. Haftarech HaKamoicha says, love your neighbor as yourself, and it also ends up Ani Hashem. What Hillel said to the non-Jew was, Da'alaych sani l'chavech lo'i savid, on you, the alayich, yeah, on you, what is horrible, what is hateful, don't do to another. What's the godless in what Hillel said? He was giving the entire Torah for a non-Jew. That is the entire Torah for a human being. And the first word is the alayich. You. You first. That's what the that's what the human being is hive to do in this world. He is hive to use his seichel, her seichel, her intellect, to extrapolate from their own existence to appreciate the existence of another. The alayich, he didn't say what is hateful. Uh, um, what the first word of his statement was you. So use your sense of self. Get your mind involved and don't do that to another person. And to that, a human being goes, that makes a lot of sense. Because that's how we make a society. That's how this world would become if if nobody did, if if no one did to another person what they like don't like being done unto themselves, we'd be living in, in utopia. That'd be Gavaldic. That's called making the world. That's why they're called the Umas Oilam. They have a chiv to make this world. That's their that's their job in this world is to make a a world. There should be a world for the Jews to to be makadish. That they make the world. We bring in the kedusha. They make the world. Yeah. 
What does it say by the Jew? The midst of the Jews, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, why? Why should I love my neighbor as myself? Where's the rationale behind that? What's hateful to you, don't do to another. That makes a lot of sense to me. But love your neighbor as yourself? Like, what? why? And then it says, Ani Hashem. So th- th- it comes out like this. This is so important to, to, to remember. The avoider of the, of the human in this world is to get to a point where other human beings are more important to them than they are to themselves. And that is a very, that's a, that's a lifetime of work, okay? But to the Jew, their natural default state, now don't get me wrong, we've, a lot of us have fallen from this, but our natural default state is that we appreciate the reality of other people. So even if we have to work on it a little bit, that's not a lifetime of work. We're already Rahmanim, Gomlechasadim. We appreciate other human beings. So what's the role of the Jew in the world? Bring Hashem into the world or... Plug it in. Plug it into what we said. Go on, plug it in. Um, The the, the, the human's avoider in the world is to make another human being more real to himself than he is. So the avoider of the Jew is to... To make Hashem more real to us than we are, to ourselves. That is our role in this world. That's what we're here to do. And when we love, we do that. When we love what? That's exactly the point. So we turn around to Hashem, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And our human soul says, why? Give me a reason. What's what's that about? That doesn't make any sense to me. And the godly soul says, I don't care. That's what you want. That's what I'll do. So um, when we do this, we are a light onto the nations. When we when when Hashem becomes real to us, when his agenda becomes more real to us than our agenda, meaning let's just plug it in something very simple, lost and horror. Yeah, you heard something juicy about someone lives nearby and you want to tell someone else. And you know Hashem doesn't want you to say this. And you're plutzing. And you really want to say it. And you're thinking of ways of how I can say it. Like, I'm not going to say it like outright, but I'll, I'll like hint and I'll be able to get, at least I'll get it out of my system a little bit if I mention it like this or that or whatever, yeah? And then if a person does that, then obviously they're more real to themselves than Hashem is. Whereas if Hashem is more real to you than you are, you'll turn around to yourself and say, I want to say this, but Hashem doesn't want me to say this. Whose agenda wins? That's what it means to make Hashem more real to you, more real to you than yourself. Meaning that when you want to do something that contradicts his will, you don't do it. Because his will is more important to you than your will. That's where we're so, trying to get to as Jews. So I'm understanding that the guy doesn't have such a big struggle. He, but he doesn't have he yes. doesn't have the ability to go higher as well either. He wasn't created to do that. Right. So he doesn't have the ability versus we have a bigger struggle 
because we have both a human soul and a godly soul. Well, no, but we have the ability. I, no one has a bigger struggle than anyone. Everything is perfectly weighted for everyone. His 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 struggle is to his purpose in this world is to get to the place where other human beings are more real and more important to him than right, he. But we are fighting with our human soul as well. We have the human soul so, as well. Yeah, but not in that way. If, in regards to the the the. By the way, also in this generation, there's lots of non-Jews. There's lots of human beings with the same kind of Jewish, with a more Jewish kind of soul as well. That gets more complicated. We're not going to get into that right now. We just keep it simple. But the, but for the non, for for the. For Wait, sorry, the could you repeat that. That was very interesting. Sorry. A lot of, could you repeat what you said before about non-Jews? No, I. But the, the, in this generation, there's a lot of there's a lot of human beings who have ended up with with Jewish human souls in a sense, meaning human souls that have got more of an appreciation for others. But there's all levels, there's all gradations. I mean, look, Lemaissa, look at this, look at the world now. I mean, I, I, I always think about the, the war in Ukraine, yeah? When when that war kicked off, you ever saw, when did every, anyone see such a thing where human beings were outraged at the, at the outbreak of a war? I mean, yeah, you can go back to Vietnam as well. There's a few, to, but but go back a couple of hundred years the only thought you would have when a war broke out was, I hope to God it doesn't come near me. That was it. There was no such thing as the United Nations. Was, yeah, we, we've grown up. You know, the, the fact that what happened on o October the 7th was, was so difficult for, for basically every normal human being in the world to deal with was because, I mean, go back 200, 300 years. That stuff happened all the time. There was marauding, you know, gangs of... Cossacks and other Rishoyim who walked through villages and towns and decimated them and happened over and over and over again. That wasn't a, you know, this was a chiddush. It was a big thing that happened, Rachmanus. So we we have progressed as a as a as a species. We are more, you know, look at all the all the amongst the amongst the non-Jews, there's endless amounts of like chesed organizations and cancer research and all kinds of stuff you know it's quite amazing it never used to be like that you know the social system is a whole thing in itself. anyway but but i don't want to get involved in that but but the the point is that the avoider of the human in this world is to get to the place where other human beings are more important to him or her than he is to himself and the jewish that to a jew is much more simple and on a textbook level, it's on a on like a, on how you are in your in your essence. If you haven't been affected by the gullus, which we have, would be natural. Other human beings would be would would you would naturally appreciate them more than yourselves. So there is an avoider of that now, but the real avoider of the Jew, the point of the Jew, is to make a shem more real to him or herself than he is or she is to himself. And that means living by halacha. That would be expressed by living a halachic life. You feel like doing X. You know that Hashem doesn't like that. Now the question is, who's more real? If I'm more real, then I'll do it. If he's more real, then I won't do it. It's like tax evasion. Yeah? Kolzman... You know, once somebody's been caught by the tax people, yeah, and they've become real to him, he won't mess with it anymore. 
he won't mess with it anymore. Cole's money he didn't get caught. They're not really real to him, so he'll try his luck. But the minute he gets caught and he deals with the consequences, yeah, then he's 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 going to be a good boy from then on because they're more real to him now. And he doesn't want to risk the thing. That's I don't want to turn it into a reward and punishment thing. We're talking about like a, a relationship. You can plug it immediately into your into your relationship with your spouse. Yeah, that's called a real relationship where their needs are more pressing than your needs. That their pleasure, that this is the highest level, when their pleasure becomes more real to you than your own pleasure. That's a very that that's 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 the goal of marriage. That's not a simple thing. That's the goal. That's years and years and years and years and years of work. But that's that the, the ultimate goal is where your spouse's pleasure means more to you than your own pleasure. And that's um and that, not in not some not in some kind of like you know insecure seeking approval kind of way, but in it's just more real to you. They're more real to you than you are. That's called a real relationship. And if they feel the same way, then you're in Gun Aiden. But, uh, but may I say, but you first have to have a human soul in order to be able to do that. If you don't realize that you're a person, how can you make his more than yours? That's what I just said. It's many, many years of work, but the but we should know that that is where we're trying to we are trying to, I mean, the first thing that we need to do, like we've spoken about before, is appreciate that they exist. Forget, don't worry about the pleasure right now. Yeah? Just just, just try and appreciate that your spouse is actually a real being. That's not a simple thing. It's not, it's really not a simple thing. They really exist. Yeah, let's work on that first. And we'll see, you know. Maybe it will kind of snowball, and before we know it, we'll really appreciate them. But that's the first avoider. The first avoider is just appreciating that they exist. And the same with our children, the same with everyone. Same with everyone. Really appreciate that you're standing in front of a real person. Like what you were saying, Mrs. Abramoff. You're just being quiet. Even if they're talking stuyot. I had a guy last night just talk, so, like, he's going through a little difficult place, but it was just like, I just didn't want to hear it. And he was just going on and on. And I just decided, like what you just said, I said, I'm going to just be still. I'm going to let him. He just needs to offload. And I'm I'm sitting here. I wanted to do something else, but I can put that off. And I'm going to be his. I'm just going to be a bag for him right now. Unload. And just shut up. Just nodded and just was silent. And you could see within about five, six minutes, he was like, whole new thing. That's called appreciating the reality of another person more than yourself. I gave up five or six minutes for this guy. I let him unload on me. But even more than giving up my time, I gave up my inner space, like what you were talking about. You're, you're so, that's not that's difficult. That's really difficult to be silent when someone's, you know, why should I let you take over my inner space? That's the, the th that's the general thinking. Or how can I help you? How can I fix you? How can I? But that gives you meaning. That so, gives you, you feel connected to your purpose, to that empty space. That you're connected. For another makes you feel like I have purpose. So, they could, okay, that could, that could be, that could also be. But if you're really being silent, you wouldn't be thinking that. That could be that the real silence means that there's no ulterior motives. I'm just being silent. And you're right, the, 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 the human soul will at the end of the day say, this is the best thing for me. It's better, it's better for society, including me, 
that I appreciate you more than I appreciate myself. Because imagine if everybody was feeling that way. It'd be gewaldic. Well, I mean, you also have to know your limits and not be taken advantage of. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. But that would be if somebody takes advantage of you, then you're not really, you wouldn't be able to give yourself ultimately to other people. So you can't have that. That's it, It's not a schmutter kind of thing at all. It's the opposite, the gun ray. It's, it's, it's the decision to, to give of yourself. A schmutter is when someone's taking you. That's not the, and it could be that when somebody's trying to take advantage of you, the selfless thing to do could probably would be to not allow them to take advantage of you. That would be the selfless thing. The selfish thing would be to just let them walk all over you. Whereas the selfless thing would be to manage, you know, clench your fist and say, I'm not going to let you do this because this isn't good for you. You shouldn't be like this. You understand? Could be the path of least resistance to just let them walk all over you. So it's it has, I mean, it, it's the same thing, but it has to be, you know, taken in any in different in the different situations. It could look like different things. The Seder. Okay. Everyone should have a good week with Zatash and Freilich and Hanukkah. Thank you so much. You too. Next week. Are we on next week? Minastam. If it, I'll let you know if not. Let's assume yeah. As well to show. Okay. Thank you very much. My pleasure.